of all the ones that um that I watched, even as problematic as like she's gotta have it or some parts of do the right thing, this one feels the most dated. Um because inter- I mean interracial dating is a thing and the things that they're talking about, well at least I'll speak for myself and being a black woman in the black community. Um there are things about colorism and race that are issues within the black community, but to make a whole film about it, I just feel like the film is not necessary at this point. To me, this is the first movie that I think of with Spike when he's just like really bold. Like he's just like, this is how I see it. I mean, it's true for the other films before this, but I think when you get into interracial dating and, you know, you're, you're talking about these neighborhoods in Brooklyn that were very segregated um, and still are segregated in a way, even uh, if you remove gentrification or even if you include gentrification. It just seemed like very bold on his part to just jump right into this and say, I'm going to talk about these. I'm going to talk about this relationship, but I'm also going to talk about these community relationships in a very like stark manner. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are continuing our watch of Spike Lee movies. We're going to start with Jungle Fever and then move on to Mike's favorite movie, Malcolm X. Uh, But we'll get into that soon. Uh, And you should be hearing from our experts if everything has gone well. uh, Randy Wilkins and Kylan Stewart. So we probably got some good stuff on Jungle Fever from them. So uh, I don't know yet because I haven't talked to them yet. So... So, Mike, uh, we now move to Jungle Fever, you know, a, a movie that it makes it's interesting because I, I found myself wondering, like, I'm sure this term must have existed before this movie, but I don't ever remember hearing it. And then it just became part of the cultural lexicon, Jungle Fever being like I, this interracial relationship. So what was your reaction to I, watching Jungle Fever? I'm not touching that. No. <laughs> I have no idea as far as yeah. you know the slang or terminology. Uh, Trying no. to give our director uh, some credit here. He's important culture. Sure, Spike Lee came up with that that title uh, totally on his own. Probably not true. Um, experience with it. I, I don't remember when I watched this one. Probably when I was a teenager. I you know probably just rented like a bunch of Spike Lee. Movies. Uh, there is a coworker of mine that uh, I got to check out the the podcast because uh, I told him we were doing Spike Lee month, and uh, um, he <laughs> I asked him, uh, and he is a black man, and I, I was just going through the list. He's like, "Oh, you know, do the right thing, Malcolm X." You know, you're, you know, going through the list, the big ones. And I'm like, "Yeah, Jungle Fever. Have you seen that one?" And he gave me a look. <laughs> Like I had lost lost my fucking mind. He's like, uh, Jungle Fever. Uh, yeah, yeah, I watched Jungle Fever. Like, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I'm coming up as a movie guy, and I'm like, is that <laughs> was that a big movie? I, I I don't know. Like, I seem to remember it being like because the title, uh, and because of Spike Lee, uh, the sort of like muckraking element to it, where it was, you know, it was attempting to. Uh, to be controversial, um, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. And I'm looking at the box office, and apparently it was a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, like sort of equivalent to Do the Right Thing as far as uh, the box office returns. But now, <laughs> and that's why I was trying to to ask my coworker. I'm like, but do you think Jungle Fever now, as like when you go back over Spike Lee, is it put up there because it is sandwiched in between Do the Right Thing? And Malcolm X, which are the, the mm-hmm. two. Those are the first two that come out. Um, he just sort of gave me a withering look like I was an idiot, which I, I guess was some sort of answer. Um, but I don't think so. And I'm wondering if this is one that is not as controversial as maybe what it was marketed as, even mm-hmm. at the time. But I certainly don't think this would be seen as hugely controversial if someone was watching Jungle Fever on a streaming service 
Now, do the right thing is going to maintain that that element, that sort of aggression. This one, I, I, I don't know. So, I mean, did you have any experience with it? Because I mentioned in the intro episode that I had seen it, but I didn't really remember much about it. Yeah, this is one that I had seen, again, back in high school. And you asked a number of questions. I'm going to try and remember them all and answer them all. Uh, I think You're supposed it, to take notes. Jeez. Oh, I'm, I'm done with school. I graduated. No more taking notes. I think in 1991, this was pretty controversial. Um, you didn't have a lot of movies that either had interracial relationships and certainly not many that talked about them so, so up in such an upfront way. Um, I don't think this would be seen as like top tier Spike Lee. I don't think it's seen as bad, but it does feel kind of pedestrian compared to Black Klansman compared to go. do the right thing compared to Dave's negativity. It so. just took episode two. You know, you you were nice. You were sort of talking around. She's got to have it. But Jungle Fever is pedestrian. I will make yeah, sure I said my pedestrian is listening in, to this episode in comparison to these other movies. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. But I do think there's one area that this movie. This movie goes after that not a lot of movies even now talk about. And that's the idea of colorism within the black community, where there's this idea of like the light skinned black women are more attractive than the dark skinned black women. This is something that I wasn't really aware of until like, you know, following and listening to a lot of black people on Twitter. Like this wasn't something I was aware of because that's kind of insulated that community. And of course, as a white guy, like, why would I be aware of this? And as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, he's tackling this in 1991 and this is something we're still not we because i'm not a part of that culture but they are still dealing with in 2019 so that's pretty impressive that he's again you know as we talked about what she's got to have it just calling it like it is and using the actual words and like having this woman say like yeah you know you just had to eventually go for a white girl like look at me i'm as pale as you can get and still be black and of course you still had to go even further and that has become, not become, but that is a problem within that community um, that has been talked about a lot recently. But I was not aware that this was being talked about in the early 90s. So I was pretty impressed with watching that now in 2019. It it may be the one, well, I don't know. I, when I was reading some reviews of it, I, I think people have uh, some issues with the final scene in particular. Uh, ah! But... Oh, I dug it, man. I loved it. Because uh, I, I, I thought this movie, uh, my little letterbox review, uh, I pretty much treat it like a horror movie uh, throughout. And not from the sense of, you know, the 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 races are, are mingling or anything of that nature. Uh, but it's the fact that, because I don't have any experience with it, but it is the fact that the characters, even within their own homes, uh, or like oppressed and trapped or have this feeling like there's something just around the corner that is going to upend their entire lives. And the characters themselves do that to a certain extent, right? Like you certainly have this younger woman, um, given the small window we have into their home life, we would know how they would feel about an interracial relationship. Like before, <laughs> before that even becomes, a plot point in the film. I think you have a pretty good guess about this man and her two brothers, uh, the, the, the father figure, the way he's raised them, exactly what his reaction would be. Yeah, Frank Vincent playing another I think nice that's, guy. It's just, Jesus Christ. I think that's probably the stuff that, um, is not, you know, would not be as controversial now, but you bring up some good points and it's, it's the stuff that sticks out is like, you have this one sequence. It's like sort of a wine night, Sort of like these women get together to, you know, su- support, you know, air quotes, because going back to the the horror movie aspect of it, there's always something lurking beneath the surface mm-hmm. that's about to be said that's going to sort of attack every person's standing and their mm-hmm. whatever little world they've built for themselves. And so the interracial part of it, um, I don't think I mean, in certain communities, it may be just as interesting uh, but I'm sure there was a lot of panic probably like mm-hmm. in white media or oh, yeah. <laughs> like you know, white moviegoers at the time that now 
I don't know if it would be there or if it, it, it wouldn't be allowed to be as expressed as just that, like right. that sort of thing, like that sort of old fashioned look. Cause that's, there is, what's interesting to me as a white guy from Kentucky is that first off, this is just not an element that I've ever had to experience because I think I've told you before, if our listeners don't know, like a very small town in Kentucky, there was, there was one black family in that town. Like that was it. And if there was any other ethnicity, they were a foreign exchange student. There was right. not any, you, they were not from the community. Uh, so that's just not an element of my life. So certainly within your own community, um, I've never felt those sort of longstanding traditions. Like when you have like, you know, an Italian neighborhood or an Italian family where it's like, you know, you're sort of like keeping among your own, uh, you know, to me, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm from a small town. Right. Like that's, you know, keeping within our own, can't do that. uh, is not really good because then we can't procreate. We have to go out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, something I else. talked about in the last episode about his opening credits and there's another example here. Because a lot of it, of course, it's about an interracial relationship, but it's also about a relationship from people from two very different places. And the entire, mm -hmm. even though it's within the essentially the same city, um, and the entire opening credits is all these like street signs and directional arrows and like things in this I movement. wondered about and that. And I like that. I was like, I oh, that's kind of cool that he's setting the stage for that even before the movie really begins. I thought it was a little cheesy, Dave. It was. It was. It felt very early nineties. I mean, I mean, Jeez. the animations are, you know, very now, early nineties. That being said, I'm apparently the only guy on the planet, other than Spike Lee, maybe his family, that like adores the ending of it. The 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 like this weird fantasy thing, this like sort of like overbearing father, that, that very stereotype, very tropey thing. Uh, where it's like this overprotective feeling, which kind of feeds into what Spike Lee really examines, which is like a man's ego as far as how far his sort of purview is, as far as like what is his his sort of territory, which unfortunately usually is other people. Yeah. Um. I I dug it. There was a lot I really liked about it. Um. Which was surprising because, as I mentioned, I, and the only thing it seemed to be consistent is, and the, it's the thing that I remembered was Samuel Jackson as the crack addict brother seems to be the one thing people bring up over and over. It's like, oh, that's the thing from that movie that was memorable. But I, I, I surprisingly uh, enjoyed this one a lot more than I thought I would. It was. It went from a curiosity to like, oh, this was like really interesting. And I think Spike Lee made some really bold bold filmmaking decisions that are going to work for you or they definitely will not. I don't think there's a middle ground. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, I think it's interesting you bring up the overprotective father because if, if, if uh, our main characters, the main male character anyway, if his father is anything, he is overprotective and like sets the stage for this, which I think is really interesting. Even though he doesn't have any daughters, he's got two sons so I think you added like an extra level of stuff going on with the fact that, you know, Wesley Snipes character is constantly being like harassed on the streets by prostitutes and he's trying to protect his daughter from this world. So to kind of see this being enacted even second or third hand is horrifying for him. And you do see that. I think the the kind of guttural scream at the end is a little much for me. Like it's one of those it's one of those choices. It is really bold. And I like I respect it more than I like it. Like, I like the fact that he did it, but I'm not sure I'm fully behind it, if that makes sense. Like, it's definitely Well, you're just vision. far more conservative than me. You know, you Clearly. need to get me and Spike. We're, we're the same type of liberal. Same experiences, everything. <laughs> I mean, but the, the performance from Sam Jackson is great here. And I remember reading about this years ago that, like, everyone, all of his friends, all his family said, don't do this. Because he has a history of drug addiction. He used to be addicted to crack cocaine. So they were like, don't play this part. This is going to spin you back into use again. And this ended up in a lot of ways being like kind of his moment that kind of got him known. And, and now he's had like one of the most productive careers maybe in cinema history. Like if you're just looking at numbers, like that man works. <laughs> like whether he makes all good movies or not, he works a lot. So this was kind of his, of course he was in Do the Right Thing, but this was really kind of his coming out party as an actor. Um, and I think he's really good here. Like, you can see why the mother's character is still charmed by him, even though you know, like, this is not going to end well. Um, but I think I think it's a really, really good performance. I think this movie is full of good performances. And that scene you were talking about with, you know, this woman and all of her friends talking, again, this would be a really easy scene to just make, like, this guy's a son of a bitch, let's drink wine, and let's, like, let's complain about men. But... 
there's some there's depth there. There's a lot going or on. Or it could feel it could feel like a cheat uh, in the mm-hmm. sense that most of the film uh, we have three principal characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have Flipper, which is a Wesley Snipes character, and he meets this Italian American woman, Angie, who happens to be dating. Uh, a character of Polly played by John Turturro, which is very different from his character to do the right thing. I think I like yeah. this guy better. He's um, nice. Cries a lot. So nice. the, se- <laughs> well, cries a lot. I don't, I don't know about that. Well, like, if you asked, if you asked his dad, I'm sure he would have some, oh, sure. some choice yeah. words. Um, I'm, I'm thinking he, you know, it may be just a small amount of privacy is all the man's asking for. Yeah. Like to, <laughs> Just stay out of the bathroom, it's not, like he, it's not like he weeps openly in public. Like he locks the door and goes in the bathroom to like cry as quietly as possible. And Be his a dad man. lies to him about needing to pee. Yeah, uh, yeah. All these characters uh, have issues with their 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 fathers, uh, which which is is interesting. But the scene with Wesley Snipes, the, you know, the, his wife that he's leaving to have this affair, I felt like it does feel like we're stepping out for a moment because I I don't think there's any other point where we just see her perspective nope. without Wesley Snipes being involved in the scene. But yeah, because it is not, it's not comforting. Like it's, it should be comforting. You, you think there's, it should be nothing, but you have been wronged. You know, it will be okay. What do you need from us? You know, do, what do you think you can salvage this? Do you want to salvage this relationship? Right. You know, what, what do you need? And we'll, we'll support you. <laughs> and it, it goes back to the horror movie aspect of it where, if you talk for too long, someone's going to reveal something dark about you or yeah. about themselves. And it does make you, it makes me want to be John Turturro where it's like, I just want to be in the bathroom. Just let me cry right. quietly I and mean, leave that, me alone. That scene is pretty impactful. Cause there's like, you know, there is a lot of that support and going back and forth and like, what do you want? And then you have this one very dark skinned woman be like, shut the fuck up. You know, how easy you have it. Like I was just like, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh, that kind of scene. Okay. Like let's really get all of this out. And I love that there's moments. It's not as if she says that and everyone like, just like agrees. Like, let's talk about this. There are moments where two of the lighter skinned women are really taken aback by this and just like kind of affronted that someone would say that to them because in some ways it is, it is attacking their blackness because of the fact that they, happen to be lighter skinned that's not something they could control not something they had any say in but are also being told like you have privilege here so there's like these different layers of privilege within the black community and like the fact that spike lee was able to communicate this in the script in one scene is really impressive stuff like this is this is an issue that has a lot of levels and there's a lot that goes into it but he manages to within like five minutes get some really interesting points across but i think my Actually, maybe I'll have you guess. What do you think my favorite scene in this movie is? It's not the sex scene. So so get that out of your mind. It's not that. Any guesses as to what my favorite scene in this would be? Well, uh, I, let's not say the sex scene. Uh, well, because the office the film sex is... scene. The office sex scene. Okay, the film was bookended by some kind of awkward... Uh, like... It's true. <laughs> There's yeah. awkward, happy Man, marital sex. I should have then... known you would love this movie. It opens with a sex scene. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, and none of them are particularly titillating. Maybe the office scene, I guess, because it's yeah. a, you know a passionate act and affair. But yeah, it opens with this married couple having sex and their child listening to them, which makes everyone in the audience uncomfortable. Like, don't like that uh, naturally. <laughs> uh, and then the the film ends with the parents having sex again. The child uh, with a smile on her face because she thinks this means her parents are back together, and the the wife is weeping afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, that was not where my head was at, Dave. Because I, I think better of you. Uh, your favorite scene? I I'm gonna guess it has something to do with Spike Lee. You're correct. Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. Uh, so As the, the best friend that can't keep his mouth shut. Yes, and that is the exact scene. <laughs> Let's take a walk. How did Drew bust me? And don't tell me it was because you opened your big mouth. God damn! see, I, I trusted you. You see what happens? I can't tell my wife. Who can I tell? Nobody, 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 nobody. I told you, don't tell a soul. You promised me. What are you, 411 or something? 
How was I supposed to know? Viewers are gonna run back and tell Drew. I didn't know that shit. Use your better judgment. That's how. She is a woman. All women stick together. They always do and always will. Now I'm thrown out of my house because of your silly note keeping a secret married to a blabbermouth wife. Don't talk about my wife. You need a place to stay. You can stay with this as long as you want to say the word. But don't talk about my wife. Yeah, right. Right. I had to be spied on all night? Yeah. I'd rather live with the FBI and the CIA. She would be giving an on-the-hour report of everything I did to Drew. Miss Big Mouth! Hey, did a Big Mouth say go fuck that lady? He had nothing to do with that shit. So put the fucking blame on the blamey. You, not me. That's right. Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> you fucked me up. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> I didn't mean that shit. <laughs> you got a place to so stay. You, so your marriage fucked up, man. Oh, I didn't mean fuck it. You. I didn't mean it. It was a mistake. You're right. I shouldn't have told her. She's a big fucking. But what I love <laughs> is the scene where he's like, eh, "Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I I should have shut up. She does have a big mouth. Like it's this very, and it's a scene that I think. I don't think I don't know that this scene works between two women, at least in a movie like this. This is a very guys moment where you just like. Drop down and you're like, yeah, man, I fucked up. Sorry. And you end up laughing about it it. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that moment because it would have been really easy for him to keep putting up that front being like, you're the one who cheated on her. You're the one who did this. This is your fault. But he's like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's on me too. Like my bad. And I really love that performance by Spike Lee. And it's another example of Spike Lee could be playing like a character who's like always going to be right and, you know, ends up looking the best. But, like, as a friend in that scene, you're like, uh, we've all got a friend like that who just, like, tells their partner everything and just can't, just can't clamp down and keep a secret. But you know that about them, so it's hard to stay angry at them. Because you're like, all right, I probably shouldn't even have told you this. Like, this is, some of this is on me, too. And I love that little interaction, I think, tells you everything you need to know about that friendship and the efficiency of that scene, just like we talked about the scene between uh, Mookie and John Turturro's character and do the right thing. Like you get everything you need from those two right there. You don't have to waste a lot of time elsewhere in the movie to prove that they're friends. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's not a scene with uh, Tim Robbins and worm tongue uh, oh, that you God. liked at the office. It's hard to watch, man. <laughs> I was like, cut your hair, get out of the scene. I don't like either of you. And you're not supposed to like, they're supposed to be hateable, but it's almost, that's actually, one of the only negatives about this to me, like they're just, they feel like they're in a different movie. Like it's so over the top and so grimy and ridiculous. that You're just like, I can't wait till you get off my screen. Can we get back to, you know, Wesley Snipes and Annabelle's Kiora? Like, let's, let's get back to that. That's a lot more intense. Well, her, her character of Angie, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the film does her enough justice here. She's, in some ways, uh, like, you know, she's played uh, younger or maybe a little more free spirited. Like they, they emphasize her mm-hmm. uh, temporary nature as a professional and yeah. that she likes it. She likes to change things up and she doesn't really like she's not career oriented like Wesley Snipes character who that's that is a plot point in the film. that He feels he has worked hard and earned this sort of status and it's it's like a sneaking suspicion going back to my horror movie like viewpoint of this where the more you push for information it's going to be revealed that like no the world is actually like shit and now we're going to sort of shove your nose in it and that's what happens to him in that scene with warm tongue and tim robbins that no we actually don't value you and um after putting up like just a modest fight we're more than happy to see you walk and sort of exit our lives so we don't have to deal with you but her character, not to be dark about it, but she is kind of like a punching bag for men here. I mean, a, a literal one for her family, mm-hmm. or physically abusive to her. And then, you know, the way Flipper, Wesley Snipes' character, plays it is like he kind of works out some of his own shit through her mm-hmm. and then it discards her. It's, I mean, it's an incredibly dark movie. In it is. This isn't like. It doesn't end the you know, way some sort I of, expected it to. Like, yeah. This it's a movie just you're like, an, oh, they're really in love and they're going to make it work. Like, nope, actually, right, he just it's, it's drops the, uh, her and moves back with his wife, hopefully, and then gets kicked out there. Like, there are no happy endings for anybody. Yeah, this is movie. not just like, a, you know, I like some of those, like, um, melodramas that you have, uh, 
like uh was it is it todd haynes that did the one with uh, julian moore far from heaven yep yeah that is playing up melodrama with the capital m d um (laughs) but this is not that where it's just like the outside world like sort of like tears them down i mean there's certainly an element of that there's a you know, a pretty harrowing sequence where cops come thinking that uh, Flipper is attacking her and, and her total lack of comprehension about how that could play out. And right. it's all over Wesley Snipes face. Um, but yeah, up. I mean, she stop talking. <laughs> Please don't say yeah, anything. She's, you're not helping. She's definitely not presented as an equal to any sure any of the men that mm. she has some sort of ties to be it snipes her family or john Turturro, she you know it's a somewhat thankless part i i think so that that may be my biggest misgiving uh with the film is just her character way it's written seeing a recurring theme here mike this is like spike lee and women well you had issues with the uh, rosie perez yep um you know and this one because I, I think that yeah, Torturo's given a lot to chew on. Snipes has given a lot to chew on. Uh, Sam Jackson as the the B plot mm-hmm. has a lot to you know to chew on as an actor, and I don't know if she's given that type of material. So it, in that regard, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. But for the most sure. part, I really I was I think I was much higher on this than from what I read. Most people in sort of like the uh, film community now, like mm-hmm. going on Letterbox. I felt like the guy that was like best picture <laughs> and, and people were like, you were saying it's pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that you bring that up about her character. I, it, it, cause it makes me question my own viewing of it. Cause I, I watch it and I'm like, I, I love her. Angie's great. I really, I really like her character a lot. And some of that is probably because she's, you know, she's Italian. We have a, we have a similar, Here we go. We have a similar background. I didn't grow up in New York, but like you grew up around an Italian family. And this is, you know, not that my family was violent or anything like that, but just these kind of preconceived notions about people. And like, I hope she... you were allowed to weep quietly in the bathroom <laughs> undisturbed. <laughs> but like that, you know, so she's a woman, so she should be cooking and doing all this. And you brought up the temporary nature of her in the workplace. And I think it's really interesting to look at that from both perspectives. So first for her, Everything in her life is mandated in her home, right? She has to do all these things. She has to she has to make things right there. So it makes sense that she would want that temporariness in her work life, like because everything is so set. Like, let me explore. Let me figure some things out because I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Whereas Wesley Snipes' character of Flipper, he wants that in some ways. He wants the structure both in his personal life and in his work life. And again, it's probably just because they're at different points in their lives. She is, I think, we're made to assume much younger, if not in age, than at least in experience than he is. And he's trying to kind of solidify himself as a professional. Um, but I do remember watching this the first time and watching this now. And had and it's been so long. So I don't think I've seen it since like, I don't know, like 1996. So it's been a long time since I've seen this. And I always forget how vicious this movie is to her. Um, not just like that she's a punching bag and she doesn't get what's going on, but the fact that this man, like, you know, the, she assumes the marriage is ending. They move in together. Okay. We're going to start our life. And then without a lot of pomp and circumstance, it's just over and he leaves and it's like, stay here. If you want, I got to go. And it's a remarkably selfish move by a protagonist of the movie. Someone we're meant to be rooting for, I think. It's a really interesting choice script wise to just like without a big speech, without a fight, really. I mean, there are fights, they go back and forth, but it doesn't seem like enough to end a relationship. And then he's just like gone. And it's really hard to swallow in this movie for me. It's hard to like, God, who do I root for in this movie? Like, am I rooting for this family to get back together? Like the kid's really cute. I'm rooting for her to have like a solid family unit. But like, I don't know. This is a really tough movie for me to kind of grapple with. It's sort of a, like an indictment on the, the audience where even if you, uh, you know, you can feel comfortable in, in saying like, well, I'm, I'm progressive. I would have no problem whatsoever. Yeah. Like this is not an issue at all. Uh, I think Spike Lee challenges you to then get angry with the characters uh, where you – if you've said – it's, it's kind of like the, the Stephen Colbert thing of like I don't see race – 
where you're like, right. I don't see this as an issue. You sort of wave off all of these like real issues that other right. people are going to have with it. Uh, it sort of and you know brings you in and kind of places you as one of these like horrific people that has elevated this relationship to a point that it probably never should have been. Right. Like right. If, if you remove race from this, this should have been a one night stand slash, you know, affair. That's just a mistake. Right. And because it is because that you're, you're playing with, with race relations here. Um, I, I think Spike Lee is challenging you. Like, why did you think, like, are, are, are you saying that this should be more than what it actually is? Just yeah. because it's a black man, a white woman, uh, because you see the fallout, and it's like right. if they don't make it, you kind of, I, I like for me, you kind of feel mad at the characters. Yeah. We're like, well, the shit. Now you've caused all this, you know, <laughs> you all this unrest. Destroyed both of your lives for nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's like, man, this is a really different movie. If Cyrus just shuts the fuck up, like this, probably, probably just kind of wear each other out after a couple weeks, and then go back to their lives. She goes on to a new job. Everything's fine, but of course he had to tell his wife. His wife had to tell, you know, Flipper's wife, and everything just explodes. And even ending that new relationship, that isn't enough. He tries to go back home, and it's like, nope, can't do that anymore. Sorry, now this kid is probably not going to have a father figure, and then you have that, you know, that ending you have that I think that's what is going through Flipper's mind. is like because of the mistake that he feels he has made, now this is having repercussions generationally. Like, this is not just like, oh, well, this marriage didn't work out. That's too bad. They have a child and they have to, they have to deal with this now as separate entities and not as a family unit anymore. A family unit that at the beginning of the movie seemed as strong as it could possibly be. And like one dalliance just ruins everything. And there is certainly, uh, issues like this could come up if, if this was like an all white cast. It's a very different story. But yeah, I mean, we've seen, We've seen films where it's like, you know, someone has an affair and it's just like a, a, a drama about that family being fractured because right. of it, because of that one mistake. But it is, you know, it's interesting as an outsider to rec, you know, you have to recognize the sort of pressure that the flipper character has put on himself as a young, young, successful black man. Uh, and his surroundings, what he sees could easily transpire because he just has to look at his brother. Like yes. coming from this the same home, so I mean they have the same upbringing, yep. and it's not like Wesley Snipes his character has a great relationship with his father either. It's not like no. you know they just are <laughs> simpatico, no. Um, but yeah, it is this it is this weight that he carries on his shoulders that um, I don't think you know certainly a white guy in his position is going to have going to have his own problems. Sure, but you know very different. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I really dug this movie. Like this is this is one that I would watch again, and it's mm-hmm. it's got that kind of messy quality that I like, mm-hmm. and you know where it does seem like there's some missteps that I, I think this it makes it feel like you're watching like a specific voice more than just yes. like this manufactured, perfectly crafted thing. And th- there's a lot of that that we're gonna see in, in the Spike Lee movies in particular, the ones that I really like. There there are elements and there are scenes where I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I would have done that. Right. But it's like then it's then it's not you know it's, it's not, not a Spike Lee the jungle anymore. people that I like yeah it's not Spike Lee yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah I really this was a uh, this was the one I was most looking forward to just out of I guess ignorance of right. like I don't remember that and I found myself really enjoying it so I was happy that uh, this one made the cut and uh, Mo Better Blues did not <laughs> all right so we're gonna take a break and when we come back we'll be talking about Malcolm X. Kind of reminiscent of the old Hollywood films in a lot of scenes, like the dance, you know, the dance um, sequences and then the crowd shots. It just reminds me of like old Hollywood, but with black people, which is really impressive because we don't really see that. To read the book and then see this on the screen was one of the most impactful moments of my life, I think, because it, it was the first time where I saw something that that I could remember at the time something being adapted to a film and it it just happened to be a black leader. It was just remarkable to me that I read something then all of a sudden I saw this man, Denzel Washington, that looked in my mind just like Malcolm X. All right, so now we're back. Now we're back to talk about Malcolm X. So this is a movie, Mike, you had never seen before. 
this is a movie I had watched definitely more than once. I remember owning the double VHS uh, of Malcolm X. That's how far back this goes. Because um, this came out, yeah, this came out right after. This came out in 1992. This was his next film after after Jungle Fever. Um, a movie that I remember getting a lot of awards buzz, but you know, we just looked it up and not a lot of not a little payoff. Uh, got nominated for best actor for Denzel and best costume design. Uh, Denzel Washington lost to Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. You say hua enough times and you you win an Oscar. Good job, good job, Al. Uh, Which you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't remember that being seen as controversial then. Like, I think at yeah, the time people were it was... <laughs> like, it felt like Pacino needed to get one, yeah. right? Like, cause he had not, had he not even won like an Oscar at all? Had he won a supporting before I this? I think he like... won supporting before. Cause it, did, he must've won supporting for one of the, for Godfather part. No, he would have been the lead Which... in Godfather two. Right. So maybe he won supporting for Godfather part one. Maybe. Uh, if he had won an Oscar before, that probably makes it ooh. more infamous because yeah. it's like, oh, wait, no, he needed to get one in this particular category. Right. <laughs> Apparently, like it may not have been uh, it may not have been something that was super controversial, but I know that uh, Spike Lee was not pleased. Uh, he, he criticized the decision saying, I'm not the only one who thinks Denzel was robbed on that one. So he was not pleased with Al Pacino uh, getting that win. It was. This is the movie that I'm most surprised that spike himself didn't get a nomination for uh because personally i think it's a great movie i think it's really well directed and it also feels like something the oscars would like right it's a biopic it's a big long movie it's stylish it covers a long period in in american history it's you know covering a civil rights leader like there's a lot going on here that it feels like you know the academy would be really into but apparently uh Oscars were still so white, even uh, even back in 1992. They just <laughs> let me let me uh, got to give it to the Italians. <laughs> let me defend the the whiteies in the Academy here, because I, I I stayed away from this because I'm like the difference is though they like this type of shit normally. You do I not. don't. Um, look, I mean, I'm watching the first hour of this, and I'm like, man, Malcolm X, not that likable. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. This guy's a real jerk. Yep, and it's funny because the first hour of the film pretty much has nothing. Uh, if you've waited this long uh, to, to watch this, this particular film, almost three decades, like I have, uh, you know, the, the Plymouth rock scene, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the very Oscar baity clips where it's like just within 30 seconds, you can be like, Oh, that looks good. Or Denzel looks good in that. <laughs> you got uh, not in the first hour. You gotta wait movie. for that stuff. No, not. Um, so yeah, I I had some trepidation even sixty minutes in, where I think at that point uh, Malcolm has just gone to, to prison, and I'm like, man, this is a real <laughs> this is a real rough sit. Um, not that there's anything like it, you know it does look elevated as far as like the budget that yes. Spike Lee's working with. So for sure, it looks good. Uh, but I I do wonder if the Academy felt like, uh, as you said, Oscar still white. That this is not one for us. Like this is not. If this Possibly. had been, this has been the MLK story, doing, maybe exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe then. Uh, but that's not in keeping with his sort of you know uh, challenging, challenging nature here. Um, I end up coming around to it uh, quite yeah. a bit though, mainly because with with the length of it, uh, you, I was shocked that it is not an attempt to be definitive about the man Mm -hmm. that what it ultimately presents is an ever evolving man up until his death. And that's not what you usually get in these things. You usually get the, like, here are the beats in their youth. Like, like I said, the first hour where he goes to prison where it's like, this is what formed the man who became like this great historical figure. The end. It's like, it's like the story of Jesus where there's this missing gap where it's Mm -hmm. like, all right, you know we're gonna we're gonna give you the the the, the hits, which I guess in that case is like you know the crucifixion <laughs> and turning water into wine, you know all all the songs you want to hear. The, the Hey Jude, Christ on the cross is Hey Jude. <laughs> um, I but I think that that doesn't make an easy sell though, where there's not conclusions. You know this this feels like a genuine like first act, uh, or maybe a second act. 
of a life that was interrupted. And Spike Lee's positing, like, we don't really know what that third act would have been for this man because he had moved the goalpost so far. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty fascinating. That one, so that, that did, and I think that's impressive. If a movie that I'm kind of bored with for the first hour uh, can kind of affect me in that way where I'm like, man, that was really cool how he mm-hmm. accomplished that. Because usually, if you're not in for the first 15, 30 minutes, right. you're never going to be in. So. Yeah, and you know it's a it's a three and a half hour long movie. That would be like if you're watching a regular two hour long movie, like thirty five minutes in, you're like, oh god, this is so boring. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to work your way back from that. For me personally, like I I'm struggling with how to go about talking about this because I realize I have my own biases. Um, around this time, I was in high school before I saw before not when it first came out, but. Um, before I saw it, I was in high school and I had taken like an African-American literature course. I had read the autobiography of Malcolm X. So I have all of this in my head as I'm watching the movie. And for me, you need that first hour because otherwise the change that he makes and the steps that he's taking, there's no there's no risk to it. There's, uh, there's no interest uh, for me. Um, I think you need to show that he had changed, that he had done all these terrible things and that he's he's making up for this. But I think the real challenge is there's a set of iconography that goes with a Malcolm X, right? Every picture you've ever seen with him, he's very well dressed. He's, you know, he's got the horn rim glasses. He's, you know, an eloquent speaker. So to make a three and a half hour long movie where the first hour, you don't get any of that. <laughs> you get him breaking laws. You get him, you know, you know, doing drugs, sleeping with all these random women, you know, hanging out with his you know, hanging out with his buddy Shorty. I like that Spike Lee just, you know. So there's a big emphasis on the, uh, you know, <laughs> the uh, hairstyling. You know, right. there's a, a strangely lie. riveting yep. sequence <laughs> where uh, where they're arrested, uh, yep. which is, you know, just not something I'm head privy in, to. Head in uh, the toilet. That's, <laughs> that's a rough way mm-hmm. to get arrested. You don't come back from that. Yep, yep. Yeah, so I have all that going on, you know, as I'm watching the movie. Like, I know the story. I know where he comes from. And I know how he dies and I know that he was, as you say, kind of, you know, moving, moving those goalposts a little bit and being like, oh, we need to kind of open this up. Right. I can't just sit around and say all white people are devils. You know, we have to like we do have to fix some things within our own culture first, but we also have to open ourselves up to this dialogue. Um, so I know where that's going. So it's, it's interesting for me to hear your perspective because you don't have any of that. Right. So it's like. So for me, I'm like, no, no, you need all this. You need this three and a half hours. And you're like, so I wonder what this movie looks like if you shorten up that first hour to like 25, 30 minutes and then jump into kind of the Malcolm X that that we as a culture know. I mean, it probably looks more uh, like your your standard biopic, I guess. Like, I don't know. There's There's an extra bit of sort of extravagance to that first hour that maybe catches you off guard. Um, you know, when we did the aviator, uh, I, I don't know if it would have been, cause that's also, I, I don't know if the run times are equivalent, but they're pretty close, right? Like they're both three yeah, hour. I think it's like three movies. Yeah. It's, they're pretty close. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it maybe if you'd had even more, <laughs> more with the, like, uh, Leo trying to get his war picture, you know, just mm-hmm. right. Like, but even that feels like kind of excessive in that movie. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of unfair. Like, and it, you know, on rewatch, would I have same issues knowing where it's going? Probably not. Like, right. you know, I, uh, or, or it could be worse. <laughs> it could be like, Let's I just go. skip to my own, <laughs> my own phantom edit cut where I just get the last two hours. Um, I also don't like tend to, and this is just my own like personal bias, like care so much about someone's youth, like in any story. Mm. Like if I pick up a book about someone and it's like, uh, like there's one I started about the, the, the guy who started Uber and I think is now no longer with the company because, you know, they're fucking chaos and all sorts of like lawsuits uh, about how they ran their workplace. Uh, and it starts with like, <laughs> you know, what he was like as a child. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a guy that wanted to create an alternate taxi service. It would be a bit unfair for me with Malcolm X to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you had some problems with uh, racist white cops, but you know, but they, just go on through it. Like that doesn't matter. Like, Cause for, <laughs> for regular people, that would be like a life defining trauma. Right. And it may just happen once. Uh, and certainly it happened numerous times. It was just a accepted 
way of life then that life is going to be horrible for this segment of the population and you don't even have to hide it. So keep that in mind. Like mm-hmm. everyone that's like hating on me for being like, Hey, this first hour kind of boring, just get to prison and like, you know, <laughs> let the fun stuff and the speeches begin. Um, but I could certainly like, you know, as I started taking up for the Academy a little bit, it's not the most palatable movie. Like in, in that regard, like it is, uh, this is the one that I told you in text messages. I'm like, I'm working my way through to Malcolm X. Like I did not watch these sequentially. Like, I'm like I kept looking at this as the homework movie and even having watched it and been very positive on it. It still is the homework movie of this. Like I, Spoiler alert, I still greatly prefer Do the Right Thing because mm-hmm. I like dealing with the real people where even having this conversation, you have to be a little bit kind of cagey about how you talk about a real historical figure who had a real effect on this country as opposed to mm-hmm. Mookie delivering pizzas. Right. It's just not as fun to talk about. Yeah, I think it is more effortful. Um, I could see it being seen as homework. I, don't, I You know, and I don't. When you say that, like, I know you, so I, I know that that's not an insult. It just is like, no, no, this is harder work. Some movies are harder work. It's not just like, oh, I could, I could sit down and watch three and a half hours of Malcolm X. Let's go. I am, well, yeah. I mean, Last Temptation of Christ, same thing, right? right? Exactly. Like and that ended up being one of your favorites for, for that yeah. month. So one thing I really appreciate about showing the childhood stuff, maybe not like the the young adult life, but like the childhood stuff, you have that sequence where the Ku Klux Klan has come and like is setting fire to the house. And then you have kind of uh, a similar scene where, uh, where the black Muslims have essentially come in and attacked and done the same thing. And I think that is a really interesting way to frame those two things. And that is Mm -hmm. why now I think there's a greater understanding of why he would open, open things up for himself and be like, Oh, Maybe I need to take a second look about this because anytime people get heavily involved in a, in a religion, if someone leading that religion is bad news, then like things can go sideways really, really quickly because he bought in completely. That saved his life in prison. It got him off of drugs. It, you know, it got him to read. It got him to study and all these things. And then he realizes, oh, actually, this man has essentially been raping women left and right under all of our noses. And then it's like, okay he was the honorable Elijah Muhammad. Now I have to really think about this. Like, who am I following? What am I following? And I have to actually think critically about this. And I think that journey is really interesting. And it's something that doesn't get talked about because when people who aren't educated about Malcolm X, they hear Malcolm X, I'm like, Oh, that's the militant guy. That's the one. He took a picture with a gun with an automatic weapon in the window. That's what people know about Malcolm X. But if you actually read his life story or just watch this movie, you will see that like he never he never committed a violent act after he left prison. He never shot anybody. He did say like you should arm yourself, you should protect yourself, but he never did anything like that. And then eventually got to the point where he's like, "Oh, I have to re-examine everything that I've been saying too." And had he lived, I think, you know, his his legacy is very, very different. And it's really tragic that as he was opening himself up to a greater, bigger world, that that's when he was gunned down because of his relationships within the black Muslim community. Like it really is a tragedy by the end of this. And the, the way they film his assassination is brutal because he knows it's coming and he just accepts it. And this is someone who has for his whole life been like, no, I'm not going to accept where I'm at, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, we're going to change things. And he just realizes this is it, you know, and he just kind of gives into that moment. And there's almost like a wry smile on Denzel's face in that scene. And it's a tremendous acting performance, like all the way through. Like, I think that first hour, he's a very different character than he is when he takes on the moniker of Malcolm X. And then the last half hour, 40 minutes, when he's just kind of accepting where he is and what's going to happen to him. He wants to protect his family, but he knows like, this is not going to end well for me. You know, it's a pretty tremendous three and a half hour performance. And I think he's in every scene of this movie. I'm not sure there's a single scene here where he's not featured. So it is really Denzel's movie. And the fact I'm glad he got nominated, but the fact that he didn't win is pretty awful. And if you compare those two performances with Al Pacino instead of a woman in this, like they're not even in the same, they're not even in the same arena. Like this is kind of a shame, well, but, but I mean, it's the Oscars. That's what you get, you know. 
Like, I agree with you in the sense that Denzel could learn, or Spike could have learned a thing or two from uh, Pacino and Martin Brest, and having, oh, you know, in that final sequence on the stage, you have Chris O'Donnell, maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman as a young punk, like around, and, you know, Malcolm could school them a little bit, school these young punks uh, before he's gunned down. What like, if it, right, be- a, what a if nice right before the bullets go, he says, hoo and then he dies? Would that be, would that be Oscar worthy for you? yeah something some sort of like ranting about how he's just getting warmed up or whatever uh and then talk about you know talk about uh, the smell of women grabbing women uh you know you you mentioned him uh saying that uh everyone should arm themselves uh if he'd lived long enough he would be a conservative hero malcolm x he would just, seriously it's really interesting be... looking at it from our 2019 perspective like but conservatives don't want black people with guns they just want white people with guns well yeah so let's be real. you know I think that's but the just Dave the Chappelle bit, itself, is yes. that uh, uh, the black community could really uh, save the the sort of way guns are viewed in America. Uh, if they just start arming themselves, suddenly yeah. we would have some We'd have gun control gun like that. Laws. It would yeah. not mm-hmm. be yep. – yeah. I also think uh, kind of the unsung MVP for me in this movie is Angela Bassett. I think she's tremendous as this just kind of quiet, lovely, steadying force for Malcolm because Malcolm is the one who is on the pulpit and the one giving the speeches. And she seems to be the only one to really get to him and to really like to be able to tease him and for it to for it to really work. Like there's all these discussions about like, oh, this woman has to be the right height. She has to be this. She has to be that. And she just gets under his skin so quickly. And it's just and you can see it. And that flirtation between the two of them is a really nice respite in this movie that is so heavy. Should I tell my sisters then that? We don't believe in marriage? No, 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 no. No, we don't oppose marriage. We're not Catholic priests. We don't believe in celibacy. No. Mr. Muhammad teaches us if if a woman is uh, the right height for a man, right complexion, if she's half the man's age plus something, and if she understands that man's essential nature is strong, and she's willing to support that, and if she's, uh, she can sew and she can cook and loves children and, and, and stays out of trouble. I think you've made your points, Brother Minister Malcolm. Good. You haven't any time for marriage. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll put the chapters down. I'll write them down for you. All right. As well as the New Testament chapters of St. Matthew. Brother Minister. Yeah. I hope that doesn't mean you won't come and visit my class, though. Oh, no, no, no. I'd love to come to your class. I love to teach. I love to teach. I love sharing. See, this is the wonderful thing about Mr. Muhammad. When he gives you this knowledge, when he shares this knowledge with you, you can't help but to run out and... and Excuse me, um, Brother Minister. Would it be okay if we just sat down for a moment? It's a pretty big building and... uh, I'm sorry, oh. Peter. Oh, no. Yeah, the uh, the rules. Uh, women having to be what half the age of their male counterpart. I, like, Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> not uh, not great, Bob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that whole thing. Um, uh, I just because I pulled it up here, uh, and I do I do have notes on my tablet. Oh. Uh, IMDb is telling me that Sin of Woman is now playing on Stars, so they are the sponsor <laughs> of the show. So if you want to see what defeated Denzel Washington. Uh, it's on stars currently, but he got his for training day, which is, <laughs> you know, the, the, I guess that would be the departed, uh, for yes, Denzel's 100%, career. Yeah. hundred percent. So Malcolm X, where, where does it sit for you? Uh, like sort of when, not just as its own sort of beast, its own little entity, but watching Spike Lee movies. I don't know. I don't know what your process is. If you're like me and you kept it up there forever, like and held it till, till it's the no. last one like, remaining. I, or not. like a good host, watch them in order. I watched them. I wanted. I, I really wanted to get like. I mean, no, I'm not upset with you for not doing this, but for me, uh-huh. the Here process comes the judgment. is I would like. I want to get a grasp of them, like as a filmmaker, as they were making films, like in that order. I think it's it's interesting to me to see where they make changes and where they don't and whether they repeat themselves in terms of theme, you know, it's just interesting to me. So this, do you listen to our podcasts in order? I do. Yes, of course I do. Yes. You do that with like other podcasts. 
You know, do you just listen to them? You want to see how they grow as podcasters? I, I do. I listen to them in order. I think you like, suffer for your art as a consumer, <laughs> either probably. just watching movies or, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that uh, what I've tried to do with this this project is like go with like what I'm interested in <laughs> in that moment. Like I, I do want to meet the movies in a good place. I don't want to sure. come like <laughs> – like I'm a drunken stepfather. I th- but I think you're to, like, much grumpier about it than I am. Well, I say that, but it's also important that like this was the month that I got to choose. So I was like, yeah, I get to watch Spike Lee. And you're like, okay, I guess we're watching Spike Lee movies. Dave said I had to. Better swallow my medicine to my homework. So it's a little bit different. And you keep picking these filmmakers who have like seven movies. So it's like, Oh, I can knock these out in a weekend. This is fine. Whereas like Spike Lee movies, it's like, okay, 10 Spike Lee movies. And this one's almost four hours long. Okay. Let me yep. buckle yep. down. So, but I think as far as like where I, where I put it, I mean, this just tells you, at least to me, like how much I think of Spike Lee as a filmmaker that like, I think if 99% of other directors made this movie, this is clearly their best movie. Like, tremendous performances, great direction choices, great, like, production design. Like, there's a lot going for it. I'm not, I'm not sure if it ever eclipses one movie we've talked about before and another movie we're going to talk about near the end of this month. But it's so good. Like, I would not, like, if someone is giving their best or their favorite or their masterpiece, if you pick Malcolm X, I think that is a fantastic choice. But it does stand out because it's, I think the, is it the only time like he's doing a, a biopic, like a biographical movie? Everything else is a creation, right? It's like these, these created characters, this created setup, probably like a lot taken from his own experience. And this is someone he clearly thinks very highly of. And this was a very important film for him to make. Like this, this is the passion project, right? This is, this is Spike Lee's passion project, I think. So it does stand out in that way that it is very fixed in its time and in its style. It doesn't, in some ways, it almost doesn't feel like a Spike Lee movie. It feels very separate for me. I think that's my issue with it is I, I, I want to see sort of a pure Spike Lee, like original creation. And obviously he is beholden to this real man. Uh, this, for him, this is a political hot potato yes. as far as dealing with the, the nation of Islam. Like I know, and what I read that he had issues at the time of its release uh, with that. He had issues with, you know, getting the finances in place. So um, this one, you know, it's the way we, uh, this is my fault. I think vetoing Mo Better Blues, but I, I believe this was really going to be with four little girls, uh, which was going to be an incredibly depressing episode. Uh, I, I see those two together because, in both those films, one of course is a documentary, but both based on you know true life occurrences mm-hmm. like other people's lives. Uh, I I'm obviously going to get more of that style with Malcolm X, the way he chooses to relay the story. But I think I shy away because I like his voice so much, and I like the weird shit he did with like Jungle Fever. Um, that I gravitate more towards that. So like you know what we normally do on the show is like after. If we watched Malcolm X in 1992, what would we want next? Uh, I would want, you know, something probably on a smaller budget where Spike Lee can just, you know, put out an original production, one of his screenplays, and can go a little bit crazier. He's beholden to no one. And <laughs> I don't know if that actually, you know, happened uh, because we're skipping some things again because the man worked. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't happen on our show because he is very much beholden to some a grieving community uh, and grieving parents and uh, four little girls. So tough sits, Dave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Make fun of me all you want for Nancy Myers, but, you know, ah. it's not hard to come talk about the holiday for 40 minutes. It's true. It's pretty fun. Yeah, so kind of in the wrap-up here, so some movies that we are skipping before the next episode. There's Crooklyn, um, which I remember liking. I, I don't think I've seen it since 1994. Clockers, which if I remember right, Harvey Keitel stars in that movie. Uh, and I remember That one's a genre piece, but it's uh, very tense. It's not fun. It is a no. man under constant duress. Yes. Uh, does it have like a day in the life or a weekend i feel like it's there's like a time constraint yeah element to i think it. it's so a, yeah, a very like tense two-day period yeah yeah and yeah. girl six uh which i probably saw once but i don't remember much about it 
I think it's about a that is one of the hated ones, I believe. Yeah, that's one of the ones that is not yep. looked on kindly. And then Get on the Bus, uh, which if I remember right, is another documentary. Like he had this kind of string of documentaries. If I, am I remembering? No, that, that right? was a that one actually was a. Oh no, it's was, a narrative. You know, fictionalized. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, but it's about yeah. the Million Man March. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, our next movie, uh, which we'll be talking about in our next episode, we'll be talking about Four Little Girls, and then the obvious. Uh, you know, companion piece to that, and he got game. So, but I think it'd be nice to kind of break it up. You know, you don't want everything to be super heavy on one episode. I kind of fought you on Four Little Girls. I can't fight you on Malcolm X. Like, ah, let's leave it (laughs) off. Who needs it? Uh, Four Little Girls. I was like, you know, should we? And I think you threw my face the the best documentary uh, nomination. So the Academy fucked me on this. Like, where it's like, well, we can't skip that. That's right. Um, so the Academy yeah, fucked I don't over put... Spike Lee and uh, and Denzel in this movie, and screwed over you on our podcast. Nobody wins. You're Green just Book like does, Spike though. Lee. All right, that's it for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, find us at, at @directedbypod. And if you'd like to donate to our Patreon, go to patreon.com/slash a podcast directed. By. 